Nick, I'm almost done with Gynonk, which is really fortunate because I'm going to be going on to OB. However, I am a little bit nervous about having to teach my junior residents how to ultrasound. Well, did you know that you can head on over to the obgproject.com and with your chief resident skills, get free access to their second trimester ultrasound atlas? If you're a chief resident like Nick and I, you can go on to the OBG project and sign up for OBG First completely free. OBG First is a subscription that allows you to build your very own reading library on the OBG project website, and they also send you up-to-date emails with the latest guidelines and research. All of their content is summarized into easily digestible bites, bulleted information, so that way you can take it on the go, whether you're on your phone, on the wards, or hanging out at home. If you want to find out how to sign up for OBG first, go ahead and go on our website at www.creogsrivercoffee.com. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs over, over Coffee. coffee. Welcome back to part four of our epic journey through these adnexal masses. Let's get started into, I think, our last category of these adnexal masses, which are the sex cord stromal tumors. So just a quick overview of these guys. They can be malignant or benign. And sex cord stromal tumors come from the layer of the ovary that normally supports and surround oocytes, the sex cord stroma. These comprise only 1.2% of all primary ovarian cancers, so they are kind of rare. And unlike epithelial ovarian cancer, most people are actually diagnosed at an early stage because many people are going to be symptomatic at this point. So, Faye, where do we start? So let's first start with the granulosa cell tumors. And I think before we can talk about them, we should talk about what a granulosa cell is because when I was going and making our outline for this episode, I was like, what? is a granulosa cell. Yeah, That's how I'd, far removed I am from basic science. I wouldn't mind the reminder myself. So a granulosa cell is a cell that surrounds the oocyte in the pre-ovulatory or antral follicle. It produces sex steroids in response to FSH. And the granulosa cell converts androgens from the theca cells to estradiol by an enzyme called aromatase. So after ovulation, the granulosa cells then become the granulosa lutein cells that actually produce progesterone. So now that we know what a granulosa cell is, let's talk about the tumors that they can form. They're very, very rare. They only form 2 to 5% of all ovarian malignancies. And there are two subtypes. There's the adult and the juvenile type. So the adult type um, represents 95% of these neoplasms, and these tend to occur in middle-aged women, uh, which we expect in ovarian malignancies, right? We expect for them to happen in women that are in their 50s. The juvenile subtype occurs in 5% of the time, and these typically develop before puberty and tends to have a higher proliferative rate and a lower risk for late recurrences. So the way that these tumors look under the microscope is that they're usually very large, first of all, and unilateral, so on one ovary only. The granulosa cells appear round and pale with scant cytoplasm and will have this coffee bean grooved nuclei. The cells are going to arrange themselves into rosettes around a central cavity, and this is very high yield for the creogs. You should be looking for that term, the call exner bodies, which are these rosettes. 
Clinically, granulosa cell tumors tend to present as a very large mass. The mean diameter at diagnosis is usually 12 centimeters. They can produce estrogen and or progesterone. So symptoms are usually related to having these hormones on board. Usually you'll see things like hyperestrogenism. Um, so that would be things like a hyperplastic endometrium or abnormal uterine bleeding. You can have breast tenderness, postmenopausal bleeding, menstrual abnormalities, um, and in children, precocious puberty. Because of this hyperestrogenism, it can be associated with endometrial hyperplasia and adenocarcinoma. And so endometrial biopsies should be performed in women with this type of tumor. And in fact, EIN will be found in 25 to 50% of women with granulosa cell tumors and actually carcinoma in 5 to 10% of women with these tumors. The markers that we can usually use to see if this type of tumor is responding to treatment are inhibin and AMH. You can also use estradiol, of course, but it is not as sensitive. In terms of management, you would do surgical staging just like any other type of ovarian cancer and possibly chemotherapy. The prognosis for granulosa cell tumors is actually really good. Of course, it depends on the stage. The five-year survival rate is actually 90% for stage one disease, and that's usually when these cancers are diagnosed because they are symptomatic. All right, Nick, I just talked a lot about granulosa cell tumors. Let's move on. What do you want to talk about next? All right, I guess I'll just move on to the other type of cell that's there, those theca cells. So theca cells, just as a quick reminder, are a cell that comprises a layer of the ovarian follicle and appear as follicles become secondary follicles, if we bring you back to REI land for a second. They are a group ultimately of endocrine cells that synthesize androgens and provide the granulosa cell with the androgens that the granulosa cell ultimately turns into estradiol. So the theca cells are ultimately a, they're a group of endocrine cells that synthesize antigens, providing them to the granulosa cell that ultimately in turn responds to FSH and turns those androgens into estradiol. The theca cells also ultimately provide structure and support to the maturing follicle. And with the granulosa cells together, the theca cells form the corpus luteum, um, which as you know is necessary for a new gestation or is always formed after just an ovulatory event. So let's think about theca cells and things go wrong. There are thecomas. Thecomas are solid fibromatous neoplasms and fortunately these are generally benign. Light granulosa cell tumors are confined just to one ovary, but these may produce estrogen, and similarly to those granulosa cell tumors, up to 20% of patients can have a synchronous endometrial cancer. Just a quick note on treatment, if patients are postmenopausal, you should consider hysterectomy and bilateral salpingophorectomy because of the possibility, again, of synchronous endometrial malignancy or an endometrial stromal sarcoma. If patients are premenopausal, a unilateral salpingophorectomy may be acceptable. Similarly to those granulosa cell tumors, because of this risk of estrogen production and endometrial premalignancy or malignancy, all women with a thecoma should have endometrial sampling. Next up, we'll talk about fibromas. So basically, the way that I like to think about the sex cord stromal tumors is we talked about the epithelium, we talked about the actual germ cell itself, what else is left inside the ovary. So the fibroma is the most common type of sex cord stromal tumor. They're usually benign, they're solid, unilateral, and they occur mostly in postmenopausal women. And unlike the granulosa cell and theca cell um, tumors, they are not hormonally active. 
The reason we mention them is because uh, Kriogs likes to test you on something called MIG syndrome, which is high yield. MIG syndrome is when you have a fibroma and it's associated with ascites or pleural effusion. Treatment is usually a USO. Next, we'll talk about Sertoli Leydig cell tumors. These guys are rare, only less than half a percent of ovarian neoplasms. They can be malignant or benign, though. Um, and 75% of these tumors occur in women less than 40 years old. Histopathology-wise, if you're into the pathology of this and can view these things, but check out our website. We'll have some photos. If it's well differentiated, these papillae that are characteristic of this tumor can resemble the reet testis and reet ovarii. Um, and if you're not sure again of what those things are, head on over to our website. There are are hollow or solid tubules on the histopathology that are the Sertoli cells, and these are surrounded by fibrous stroma, which are the Leydig cells. The marker ultimately for these Sertoli Leydig cell tumors, they can be associated with elevated AFPs, um, but as you might imagine, because you think about these primarily in men with testis, they often produce androgen and androgen precursors. Clinically, because of that increased androgen, this is going to result in virilization of women. So you'll see oligomenorrhea or amenorrhea, um, atrophy of the breast, hirsutism, deepening voice, male pattern baldness, acne, clitoral enlargement if you get to that point. Otherwise, these can present with abdominal pain or abdominal enlargement. And actually, these present ultimately at a mean size of 16 centimeters at presentation. So they end up being pretty big. The management is surgery and chemotherapy, and the prognosis is actually pretty good with a five-year survival rate of around 70 to 90%. Ultimately, though, that prognosis is related to stage and degree of the histologic differentiation. All right, Nick, we've talked about every single part of the adnexa. There can't possibly be any more. Yeah. Let's summarize. I think we should get to it. So today we talked about sex cord stromal tumors. Again, can be malignant or benign tumors coming from the layer of the ovary that normally supports and surrounds oocytes. We first then talked about the granulosa cell tumors, and we talked about what a granulosa cell is, which are the cells around the oocyte that convert androgens to estradiol. There are two subtypes of granulosa cell tumors, adult and juvenile. The histopathology are going to form something called Kahl exner bodies that you guys should all know. Clinically, these tumors tend to be pretty large, and they can also be associated with hyperestrogenism. And because of that, all women who are diagnosed with a granulosa cell tumor should have endometrial sampling, and treatment should be with surgical staging and chemotherapy. However, because these tumors tend to be diagnosed very early on, given that they um, are symptomatic, five-year survival rate is 90%. Next, we talked about thecomas. Again, thecus cells comprise a layer of ovarian follicles and appear as the follicles become secondary follicles. They are a group of endocrine cells that synthesize androgens for the granulosa cell to ultimately turn into estradiol. When they turn into tumors, they generally are benign, solid, fibrominous, and unilateral neoplasms. However, they may produce estrogen and up to 20% of patients can have a synchronous endometrial cancer. So it's important, just like with the granulosa cell tumors, to do endometrial sampling. Treatment ultimately in postmenopausal women is hysterectomy, but in premenopausal women, USO may be acceptable. We then talked about fibromas, which is the most common type of sex cord stromal tumor. The reason you should know about this is because it's associated with something called MIG syndrome, which is a fibroma that also is associated with ascites or pleural effusion. 
Lastly, we talked about the Sertoli Leydig cell tumors, again, these very rare ovarian neoplasms that can be malignant or benign, occur generally in women under 40, um, and again, have those hollow or solid tubules, the Sertoli cells, surrounded by fibrous Leydig cells, which resemble stroma. The markers are more often than not androgen and androgen precursors, but can also be associated with elevated AFP, and symptoms can include, in addition to an abdominal enlargement and pain or bloating, increased androgen signs. So the hirsutism, acne, oligoramenorrhea are all important things to remember for these particular types of tumors. I think we've done it, Faye. I think we can finally leave this dark land of adnexal masses. We still have to talk about staging, Nick. Oh, geez. All right. Well, at least we still have a podcast. So once again, I'm Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Kriags Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and go on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or any other of your podcatchers and give us a five-star rating and review. If you think we're also still fortunate to have a podcast, head on to our social media and give us some love. Find us on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee, Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee. Or if you really love us and want to keep the podcast going, head on over to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee, where you can get a shout out on the show or some cool swag in exchange for your love. If you want to take a look at all the histopathology that we talked about, go ahead and go on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. And finally, if you got something to say to us, whether it be some commentary, some questions, or an idea for a future episode, send us an email, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.